This is Binod Shankar. You're listening to Real Finance Mentor podcast from the realfinancementor.com. The Real Finance Mentor is your go-to resource for insight and inspiration on careers in finance, CFA, and more. I would think, why this podcast? Well, my goal is to deliver insight and inspiration for your finance career by making it one relatable. This is not theoretical stuff. We zero in on the critical, practical issues. Number two, authentic. No bullshit. No sidestepping. The topics, guests, and questions are all from that perspective. And number three, take a chartered accountant, CFA charter holder, add 17 plus years as a corporate warrior, mix in 10 years of entrepreneurship, during a decade of full-time CFA training, add speaking, mentoring, cycling, and mountaineering, and that's me. Welcome to the Real Finance Mentor, or as I call it, RFM. Right. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Binod Shankar here with the Real Finance Mentor podcast, a podcast that brings um, insight and inspiration for your finance careers. And today we have uh, a special guest. Now, this special guest is not from finance, although she has some connections with finance, she confesses uh, in her current job. Um, and she's not doing any CFA or MBA or any such C-level certifications, but she's interesting. Um, for various reasons, as you would see as we proceed with the interview. So I would like to welcome for today's episode, uh, Suwad El-Sarkal. Now, let me introduce uh, Suwad properly, right? With the proper titles and experience and credentials. Now, Suwad uh, is a Vice President of Strategic Communications with Tabreed, uh, also called the National Central Cooling Company, which is headquartered in the UAE and is a listed company. He's also executive board member of the Middle East Public Relations Association, MEPRA, and act, was acting head of corporate communications and head of PR at Abu Dhabi Media, before which he was corporate communications executive at Altair Group. And also before that, she was media spokesperson, Sheikh Mohammed Center for Cultural Understanding. Education-wise, she has a bachelor's in communication and media sciences from Zayed University and a master's in science of international business administration from the Zayed University, Thunderbird uh, University, Geneva. Right. Uh, awards, she's got the most influential PR and communications professional award in the region by PR Week 2019 and 2020. Have I, have I left out anything, Suad? Have, is there anything more to say? I'm an amazing person. <laughs> I'm very bubbly. <laughs> Anyway, so thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> of course, of course. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, I have too many questions to ask you, but because of time, you have to obviously limit the number of questions. And we had a chat, obviously, several times before today. And apart from being bright, you also strike me as articulate, engaging, and open. And these three terms are not terms that I associate with the Emiratis I know, most of whom, men and women, are super conservative and keep to themselves. Now, why is that? And is this changing fast enough in your opinion? Uh, to be honest, this is one of the most um, asked questions uh, I face when I speak to international uh, um, uh, professionals or just regular people from all around the world. And I, I will not deny that I'm not your typical Emirati, <laughs> to be very honest. Um, but the community is changing. It is it's extremely changing in regards to these uh, three attributes that you just mentioned. Um, our, our upbringing, in fact, had a lot to do with who we are today, to be honest. And the way that the, the government is progressively shifting to what mm. is, quote unquote, the norm is helping the people change. Um, me personally, I come from a very unconventional family. 
And uh, when everyone thought that being in the media was too, um, is not too positive, basically, my parents saw something in me that uh, I would say translated, yes, she's perfect for media. And they pushed me to who I am today. Right. Um, they made sure that I, uh, that I know that I can be vibrant and still exercise my duties as an Emirati, which is extremely important in our community. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I need to come back to your childhood and your parents later, because I'm sure there are some insights that we can pull out from there. But when I first met you, uh, actually we first met when I contacted you for the CFA Institute uh, Investment Research Challenge, the UAE version 2021, which is actually a way of making university graduates employable. Now, of course, as you know, employability is a big issue as many graduates enter the workplace without a clue of how to survive or get succeeding. I mean, we try to tackle this issue at CFA Institute by encouraging teams from universities to participate in a competition where they learn lots of useful skills like presentation and financial modeling. Now, you mentioned during our previous conversation your unique undergrad work experience. Tell me what you did and how that has helped you so far. So, first of all, let's put it out there. I'm a workaholic. I (laughs) love what I do and I do it the best that I can. Um, you didn't want to go back to my, my childhood, but to be honest, I attribute this to my parents and the way they, they, uh, they uh, taught us. They basically taught us how to work for what we need. And we wanted an extra allowance. We had to do extra chores. We wanted to learn, apply it. And I believe that where my perspective working while studying came through um, was from that. And I have worked in newspapers, advertising agencies, production houses, media networks, all during my studies. I knocked every door every summer that I was available in the UAE for me to just do work placements and, um, and, and uh, gain experience from that. Um, but the thing is, I also have to thank my professors for being flexible with me when, when, when that was the case. I had my f- very first full-time job while I was a full-time student. Uh, my professors made sure that I excel at both ends and were very understanding when it came to, uh, came to my time. Um, that consequently gave me my edge. Education is so important. Mm. It is essential. It gives you the credibility. But working is even more important to help you apply what you've learned and hence never forgetting it. Um, having programs such as uh, this is, is crucial to the next generation. The world, the world, like um, it, the real world is not in your books, mm-hmm. okay? The real world uses what you've learned and tests your critical thinking in applying these methodologies. Uh, students need to take advantage of these programs and other, of this one and other similar programs that are available in, in their fields. I know I abused every opportunity presented to me. I mean, uh, if, if I sniffed an opportunity, I just jumped on it. And that's what I would advise people to do to, to kind of excel in what, uh, what they're planning to do. Right. That's what interesting, interesting take, because let's go to that last part, what you said, right? Uh, what youngsters yeah. are planning to do, because as you know, Swat, many youngsters struggle to find the field that they like and that they're good at. In fact, even adults struggle and some, some adults never even find what field they like and that they're good at. But you seem to have found what the Japanese called, and I'm sure you've heard this phrase called ikigai, right? Where mm-hmm. passion, purpose, profession all intersect. Um, you seem to enjoy your work um, and you've had several interactions over the last several months. So where did you first get the interest to work in the communications field? I mean, what drew you to communications? As, as I said, I'm in love with my job. I adore what I do. And I thank God for giving me parents to allow me to explore my passion. 
and um, and I want to go on record to be honest for to thank three professors who literally lured me in to the communications world. Um, just to, just a backstory, I'm I'm fascinated with science, so I'm I'm a huge fan of biology, physics, and chemistry. And my initial thoughts wasn't to go into uh, biology. But thanks to Professor James Pikeaway, Jack Hilwig, and Stan Dura, they are the reason of why I am and who I am today. Wow. Um, Stan saw the writer, James saw the passion, and Jack saw the creativity. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a Zion University graduate in the, com- uh, the comms uh, college. And uh, before you pick your college, you get into a general education program. And at the end of the program, you start getting introduced to different colleges. James Pikeaway and Jack Hilwig walked into the hall um, to introduce the communication to the song "We Will Rock You" in the background, <laughs> literally clapping their hands over their heads and and uh, singing that song. And all I did, I'm like, okay, rock my world. Like, tell me, show me how is it going to be rocked? And they completely astonished me. Their confidence on stage and and the way they introduced the media world um, made me think, you know what? I want that. I want to be influential. I want to make a difference. And here I am today. It's, it's interesting you talk about your three professors, right? James, uh, Jack Helwig, and Stan Dura. Because if you think about lots of leaders uh, or successful professions out there, so, and you ask them, who made the biggest impact on your life? They might mention parents, but I'm fairly certain they will mention their school teachers or college professors. It's interesting, isn't it? The impact that these people have on your life. It, for me, uh, I think it, it comes from the fact that I, I value credibility, uh, giving credit to, to where it's worth. And um, I've, I've taken upon myself uh, the duty, I say, and it's, it's, a, it's a duty to be honest with my feelings, whether was it positive or negative. And, and being grateful for these three people is essential to me and essential to anyone listening that remember who had a hand in, in, in kind of uh, sculpting who you are, give them that recognition. And believe me, the repercussions of that are, are great and amazing, in my humble opinion. Are you still in touch with these professors, by the way? Of course. Whenever okay. I go to the US, um, I contact Kastan, uh, have moved there. Um, mm. And uh, I, I went and saw him. And I remember that I met his wife before they got married when I was still in university and now they have two beautiful children. I met them as well. So no, I do stay in touch as, as far as I can. And, and um, I'm, I'm forever grateful. Incredible and also very inspirational. Now your answers reveal uh, Suha, that you're an outlier. And we talked about, <laughs> before this record, we talked about another way in which you're an outlier, which we should not talk about now. Uh, <laughs> but while this is quite normal as in being an outlier in, in the Western world, of course, yeah. I've heard of very few expats, forget Emiratis, in the UAE who work while at college. And I suspect, uh, I might be a bit biased here, uh, I, mean, I suspect they don't work mainly because, I mean, their lifestyle is taken care of by their well-off parents who meet all their expenses. Uh, mm-hmm. So for you to be an outlier, to go and work so early on while you are at college, uh, there must have been some triggers in your case, perhaps in school, and our childhood. Can you share some details about this? As I mentioned, it, it's my parents. My parents taught mm. us that we need to earn our money. We need to earn our keep because that kind of uh, consequently made us value money. Um, uh, and, um, and, and, and it's for it being available to us. You know what I mean? So based on that, the concept of earning one's keep was embedded into our DNA. Um, I, I don't, I 
don't understand how someone can take uh, an allowance at an age where they can actually start knocking doors and getting mm. jobs. Um, I remember this is this is a funny story, but I remember when I was a child, I wanted to buy something, and my father said that what he meant was go to your mom, get some chores, do something around the house, and get the money. What I did was I went downstairs into our building compound and opened a car wash. Oh wow! <laughs> where I started washing cars and earning money, and my father flipped. Got bless his heart. He's like, "What is wrong with you? What are you trying to do to the family's name?" But but in my mind, I was doing right. He was very proud, but at the same time, he's like, "That's not what I meant." Um, but it, mm. it, he embraced that, and he understood that. You know what? No, this girl is going to grow up to actually work for whatever she needs, which is important. Yep. It's, it's interesting because the similar something similar happened to me when I was a child growing up in Nigeria, and I have a single mom, and if I needed pocket money, she would say, "You either wash the car or clean the house." So yeah. <laughs> I would have to do one of those things, and so. Although we joke about it now, uh, but but of course we realize the importance of those past events, right? Yes. So because it sort of builds in you the fact that money doesn't come easily, and you have yes. to really work hard to earn that extra rupee or naira or dollar or dirham. Um, exactly. And that's that's quite important. Now let's talk about something very critical, um, which is mental health, right? It's such yeah. an important issue. Um, I read recently that the rate of uh, depression and suicide. Um, and loneliness uh, among the younger generation has been steadily increasing it actually worsened with covid um, because of course social distancing has had a huge adverse mm-hmm. impact now you mentioned to me that your battles with depression in school a very bold and open move by the way you know and, and thanks for opening up um, i appreciate that but millions of people swad are fighting this daily around the world um, and how did you win this battle who helped you Uh, so can you please tell us more details about this of course so i am extremely open about my battle with depression um it is still there but very very much under control because of one thing i decided i will not let it destroy me depression is a very real illness and i do not believe in fixing it by taking a pill it is by genuinely dealing with the issues that create those dark voices in your heads the one piece of advice i can give is identifying the source of negativity in your life and literally eliminating it so in my case i made sure that i surround myself with positive people who push me to be the best at what i am if it's a family member who's negative limit your interactions don't cut them off because it get well to me i i look at life from a religious perspective it does go against our religion to cut off family but mm. limit them in your life limit their interactions with you um if it was a friend cut them off you do not have time to cater to others the negativity in you is a reflection of the environment that you are in mm. um i want to take a moment because you mentioned who helped me i want to take a moment to thank my biology teacher back in school mr nidal who took it upon himself to have lunch with me every single day and check up on me on daily basis when he realized that I'm a kid suffering from depression wow. which brings me to my next point which is if you see someone suffering be there lend them a, hold, hand, a helping hand most of the time a person who is in depression will either not admit that he or she is there or are or are way too afraid to ask for help I was completely blessed with people um around me who saw me 
uh, parents who em embraced me and a mind that was strong enough to deal with with the with my my complex my complexity um, today as part of my um, my uh, association with MEPRA as being a board member, uh, we have created um, a wellness uh, program that is free of charge for people to come and, 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 and use and speak to professionals on, on depression and loneliness. So by all means, please do go to MEPRA.org and, and utilize that platform. It's free of charge. It's available to all. And, and, and it assists you if you have um, issues with finding the right person to speak. So, yeah. Fantastic. Thanks for opening up, Suad. And uh, that's a fantastic initiative, by the way, the MEPRA, the MEPRA connection. I'm sure, mm -hmm. I hope people will reach out and hopefully they will uh, get their problems uh, sorted out. It, it's, I think it's a long journey. It doesn't get, uh, it won't go overnight, but I think you've got to work at it and you need support I've, I've, as well. Definitely. I mean, I've, I've been suffering with depression since I believe 2001, if I mm. want to put a date on it. So, and I do remember, um, which is very hard for anyone to believe today, but I went without smiling for a year. Wow. For a full year. I was wearing black on black continuously. I never smiled and I was always distant from everyone. So um, it, it, was, it was a hard time, but I was, very, I was very lucky to have the people around me. Now, talking about smiling, I find it very difficult to believe that because <laughs> <laughs> I watched your TEDx talk from, when was that? 2012, about yeah. eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah. When they just waltz onto stage, you know, <laughs> and, and you held the stage fluently and confidently and with humor. Uh, you are obviously now quite confident and articulate, engaging uh, in private and public. But you said you were not always like this. And most people, as you know, struggle in public speaking. I mean, I teach, I used to teach a lot and I couldn't even get my students to open up in a class where we are talking mm -hmm. about something important for them. So how do you go from shy school girl uh, with depression issues to engaging platform speaker? I mean, I also saw that on LinkedIn recently, you mentioned about the three P's of public speaking, which is uh, persistence, preparation and practice. So how do you advise someone who's a youngster, a fresh graduate probably, uh, or even a young professional at work who is hesitant to stand up in a meeting room and talk to his colleagues or in front of strangers and, and deliver a short talk? How do they get over this? Okay, so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna talk a little bit, I'm, okay, backstory. So I'm a certified okay. trainer and my specialty is public speaking. Right. And I, I train people about how to get over the butterflies. I'm here to tell you a couple of things. First of all, we're not afraid of speaking because we do it on a regular basis. We're afraid of rejection. Mm. We're afraid of people in front of us rejecting what we have to say. Because let me put it in layman terms. Let's say you're back in college, back in the good old days. You see a beautiful young lady and you want to go ask her out on a date. You walk up to her and you'll be like, you know, my name is Binud. I think you're gorgeous. I would love to take you out for coffee. Mm. And she mm. looks at you top to bottom. She says, uh, no, and walks away. That pain is the pain of rejection. So imagine that pain in front of 300 people in an auditorium. That, mm. that is equivalent to, to dying. And they say the fear of public speaking or the fear of that rejection is, yeah. is actually higher than death itself, the fear of death itself. So um, it's not a negative connotation, but it's what you do with that anxiety makes all the difference. Um, to go back to that, so every public speaker has the butterflies. Mm. Believe me. It's, it's the emotions, it's what you do with these butterflies is what makes you stand out. In my case, 
comedy is my escape. <laughs> I make use of any situation and turn the tables, making it a funny moment to break my own ice, basically. Um, I then shift the focus of how nervous I am at that moment to what I need to make sure that my audience needs to know. And if you mess up on stage, so what? It doesn't matter. You are still stronger than most by actually being on that stage. So this is where persistence um, kicks in. You need to go at it again and again and again. I did mess up a number of times on stages. Nothing major, but I did. Mm-hmm. I laugh it off and I continue. And when I took it easy, the audience laughed with me, not at me. And I just mm-hmm. continue. I mean, um, I remember when I was a kid, I had to perform a play uh, in front of an entire summer camp. I was part of the Edmund summer camp. My father used to work there and executives were there to watch us. I was absolutely petrified. I was supposed to perform the opening monologue and I just completely froze. I stood there in front of everyone, an auditorium filled with people, and nothing came out of my mouth. I almost (laughs) fell apart and completely wanted to run off the stage. And I looked at my dad, and he smiles. And he gives me a thumbs up that I'm doing great. I didn't even say a word. I looked at the rest of the crowd, and everyone was staring at me. And at that moment, I just closed my eyes. I calmed myself, smiled at my father. And then just completely continued reciting. And mm-hmm. it was an amazing, amazing play. And I was 10 at that time. Um, afterwards, my parents like, you know, ran up to me. They hugged me and made it seem like I should be nominated to the Oscars because of my <laughs> performance. And, and that's the kind of reinformance you need to have around you. Now, in regards to preparation and practice, um, I have an equation that I follow. It's one hour per one minute of presentation time. Meaning, you have a 20-minute presentation, you need to dedicate 20 hours worth of preparation. What do you do when you prepare? You research, you redefine, you readjust, and then you finalize the information needed to present uh, the 20-minute worth. You may say, okay, Saad, we usually have like 30 minutes to an hour for a presentation. Yes, that is correct. But the 30 minutes to an hour is a combination of you speaking and Q&A. So eliminate the Q&A and the conversation time. You got your PPT time. And based on that allocated time, you need to prepare. And then finally, we go to the third P, which is practicing. So you have no idea the amount of times that I practice a speech. I train and I look at my speaking notes. I practically memorize it before going on stage. Um, I mean, sure, when I speak, it seems like it's coming out of the heart or from my heart, but public speaking is an art and needs a lot of work. Um, Okay, so true, some of us are more comfortable Mm -hmm. speaking in front of others, but believe me, it's an acquirable talent. Uh, I do not have any speaking, public speaking genes in my DNA, by the way. I I completely work (laughs) hard for it. Um, And I I work diligently to to get to the place that I'm here, but it's... it's, um, it's just remember, it is not fear of public speaking. It's the fear of rejection that re- cripples us. I know the fear of humiliation in public in yep. front of so many faces. I, I right. must say, that your, your dad deserves a prize. Give the man an Oscar, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> both, both my mom and my dad, to be honest, they work very much hand in hand, definitely. Now, you said the first time we talked, Swa, that you would love the lockdown because you were, to quote you, <laughs> essentially an introvert. Something that... <laughs> People and 
to be quite frank, I myself find very difficult to believe. But let's go with that. Now, as someone, <laughs> as someone whose natural preference or nature is introversion, how do you get the motivation and the ability to, uh, for lack of a better word, stretch yourself to be so engaging when you deal with seniors, juniors, different departments, vendors, the media, Binod Shankar, podcast interviews, etc., <laughs> etc. <cetera>, et <laughs> So, so I do love call, and I always call myself the introverted extrovert, okay? And, and public speaking was my Everest, and I stress it was, but oh God, do I love a challenge. And I, and I can tell a story. I know I can. I have the skill, so why not do it? What's the worst that can happen? Nothing. So I, I, I think, like, I, again, I go back to the support system that kept reassuring me that I have something great to share. So I need to do it. It's, if you notice, I stress again and again and again about the surrounding, the environment that you set yourself in. in. And for me, growing up, I've changed my surroundings to today that I make sure everyone around me is an overachiever. I create that healthy competition around me that they love seeing me excel as much as I love seeing them excel. And, and, and that kind of puts me into that uh, place where, yes, you know what, a challenge, I'll take it. I'll, I'll do it. I'll be the mm. best at what I do um, and, and show off doing it. Mm. Now, while you were talking, I was thinking, you know, uh, and I've thought about this before as well, even before today, is that you're so fluent in, 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 of course, in the English language, so confident, so engaging. Now, which is, of course, something that you don't see, uh, whether expats or Emiratis. And I, I suspect that lack of fluency in English is one reason why public speaking becomes such a huge Everest to climb because mm-hmm. they, fear, they fear that they'll say something wrong or grammatically or otherwise. Now, how did you get good uh, or very good at the language? And more importantly, if someone is in their 20s and struggling to sort of engage with their peers, colleagues, bosses at work, mainly because of language issues as because English is not our native language, what yes. would you suggest? How can they upskill themselves? Because it's a major issue. Um, I've noticed both here as, as well as in South Asia. Yeah. So it is practice, practice, practice. Um, be confident enough to go speak to a foreigner and speak to a native English speaking foreigner. Um, and I'm here to tell you, you made a mistake grammatically. So what? And a lot of people kind of ask themselves, oh my God, what if I make a mistake? And my question is always, what if you did? What's the worst that can happen? So what if you did? First of all, kudos on you trying. That you need to give yourself that that badge of honor that you are actually actively trying to speak a different language. Not everyone, by the way, speaks two languages. It's it's not a common thing, FYI. Um, but kudos on you for trying to speak two different languages. That's number one. Number two, how in the world are you going to learn if you don't have someone correct you? All right. Number three. If you are in front of people who make fun of your mistakes, eliminate them. I take it upon myself to actually correct, constructively correct anyone who speaks in front of me and, and um, uses like wrong, bad grammar or uses the wrong word um, and, and constructively give them that, that advice or, or correct them, whatnot. But if, if you are speaking and someone makes fun of you, eliminate them. You don't need them. You don't need that kind of negativity in your life at all. Don't stop speaking. Practice. Surround yourself with native speakers. Um, go online. Recite. Read. 
read, read, read. I took it upon myself to read. At some point, I remember I couldn't go out. I was very, very sick. Um, this is something that also I'm very public about. So I'm a cancer survivor. And, and during my, my, uh, my medication, I, at some point, I couldn't really go out. I couldn't do anything. And I used to read a book a day, a book a day, because I had nothing else to do. So read books, um, fiction, nonfiction, um, uh, business books, whatever you get your hands on, the newspaper, every single day, read that. Look at the language, practice that language and, and move forward. And, and to be honest, I don't talk about only Arabs who are speaking English. If you are an English speaker and you're trying to speak Arabic, do not let anyone make you feel less because you're speaking traditional Arabic or classical Arabic or whatever the case was. Kudos on you for trying to speak a different language. Yes, I, mean, I read somewhere recently that if someone is struggling to speak English, remember, he knows a second language that you probably don't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> very, very true. Very true. <laughs> now, talking about advice, right? And very importantly, yeah. if a young undergraduate approaches you for advice on career, what are the three top tips based on your, although you're young, you've, you've, you've gone through a lot of experience in your life, based on the experience that you would give to that young undergraduate uh, but irrespective of gender or nationality. Mm -hmm. So um, I've, I've kind of hovered over a couple of them during what I'm saying, but I'm going to kind of uh, specify them. There are mm -hmm. three points that I would like to cover. The first one is always ask yourself, what if they don't? The second one is it always happens for a good reason. And the third one, do not fear the unknown. Mm -hmm. So let's elaborate a little bit. So the first one about asking yourself, what if they don't? So again, I spoke about the fear of rejection. So I noticed that most fear rejection as an idea, and that's valid. But instead of setting up yourself for that, convince yourself that there's a, pos that there's a positive possibility to every situation. So instead of asking yourself, what if they say no? Ask yourself, what if they say yes? Hmm. It's all a matter of perspective. So that's number one. Number two, it always happens for a good reason. So I was taught that if Allah allowed us to see what he has in store for us in the future, we would drop to the floor thanking him and never get up. Which means what? Everything that happens to us in the now is either preparing us for a brighter future or eliminating what we think is good for us to allow something even better into our lives. Which brings me to a story of mine. At one of my jobs, I was promised a promotion. I found out that my name was shortlisted and it was just a matter of time for me to get it. I was absolutely devastated um, that I knew, because I knew I deserved that promotion and I worked so hard for it, um, that I was, I was taken out of it. And, um, and I said, you know what? There must be something better coming soon. I mean, I know that I'm, I was hoping for it, but whatever. My name was taken out it's not a big deal something must uh, be better and truth be told less than six months I got a job somewhere else that was three grades higher than what I had three times the salary that I had and needed uh, needed me to join immediately so please note if I got that promotion my notice period would have been three months and because I didn't get that promotion my notice period was only one month so, and, and based because of my, um, my vacation accumulated, I could have reduced it to only two weeks. 
So if I pro- if I got promoted, the opportunity of a lifetime would have gone away. So yes, it may seem like it is the end of the world at that moment, but remind yourself it is always for a good reason. Then finally, we are always afraid of things that we don't know. So the fear of the unknown. Cold feet before getting married, picking a new home, traveling to a new country. It is a completely normal reaction. But never fear it to the limit that you run away. Stand your ground. Challenge yourself. And if you don't know how to proceed, surprise, ask. Don't hold yourself responsible for the information that you do not have. Empower yourself with the knowledge and the experience to move forward. So um, there's nothing scary. There's nothing, there's nothing scaring about not knowing something. Admit it to yourself. Allow yourself to, to, to understand that um, and ask. Ask, ask, ask. Exactly. So don't be shy of asking. <laughs> That's the yeah, important point. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So I'm sure you've got quite a few personal projects going on the sidelines. Uh, so, so, so tell me what you have going on right now. So um, at the moment, I'm, I'm heavily invested in, uh, in training people on public speaking because I realize that's a very recurring um, uh, issue in a, with a lot of professionals. Um, uh, so I do that and I'm very, very involved with MEPRA at the moment. And uh, I work closely with the United Nations Enver- Environment Program and uh, the Ministry of Climate Change on, on um, cooling projects and uh, um, uh, projects to help with you know the entire climate crisis and whatnot. I'm, I never... I've always been uh, into saving the planet, definitely. But I think right now is the right time for me to actively do something about it, given the position and where I work at. Um, so these are these are some projects that I'm kind of investing my time into, to be very honest. Very encouraging, very interesting, and very inspiring as well, if I may say so. As I said before, several times as well, Suad. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, I know I, I know you're busy. I can't, uh, and, and the interview has to end at some point. So, <laughs> and, and this is probably a good point to to wrap up. Uh, thank you so much, Swad, for taking the time to come today, and for being open and uh, for being honest and insightful. Because I think the the need of the hour is for youngsters to be motivated and focused, and not lose heart, and don't be shy, and don't be afraid. Definitely. I definitely agree with you. And I really do hope that whoever is listening, whether they're, they're youngsters and they're just starting with their careers or actually mid-career, um, please find the passion in what you do, regardless of what it is. And if, it's, if, if you don't find the drive, it's never too late to change. And it's never too late to start over. Um, what, do you have, what do you have to lose? Absolutely nothing. Um, uh, and, and the more passionate you are about what you do, um, the better it is to wake up in the morning. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. And <laughs> that's a brilliant way to end this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Swad Al Sarkal, for coming to the interview. And uh, wish you the best in your future career. And of course, we will be in touch. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. This podcast was brought to you by The Real Finance Mentor. Thank you so much for listening. And I really hope you found it insightful and inspirational. If you did enjoy this episode, please drop us a review and spread the word. And be sure to check out more exclusive content on therealfinancementor.com and my LinkedIn profile, which is Binot Shankar CFA. Let's keep in touch. Just add your name to the mailing list on therealfinancementor.com and we'll tell you about new episodes, plus book reviews, upcoming events and blogs. Till the next time, onwards and upwards.